You're listening to Secrets of Data Analytics Leaders. Like it loses the context, it can't answer the second question. Where AI can answer the second question, it can actually string thought together. Welcome, everyone. Back for another round in the podcast booth is Joe Caserta, president of a New York City-based consulting firm that he founded in 2001, and he's a longtime data guy. In 2004, Joe teamed up with data warehousing legend Ralph Kimball to write the book, The Data Warehouse ETL Toolkit, and today he is now one of the leading authorities on big data implementations. This makes Joe one of the few individuals in the, within the trenches experiences on both sides of the data divide the traditional data warehouse, running on relational databases, and big data implementations on Hadoop and in the cloud. Joe's perspectives are always insightful. So welcome to the show, Joe. Thanks so much, Wayne. So uh, our last conversation, you talked a lot about architecting in the new world order. Uh, today, I want to move a little bit more and focus on the cloud, uh, perhaps a little bit on artificial intelligence. Now, you've been known to say that people should shut down their data center for good. So I have to ask, is it possible to migrate 100% of your data ecosystem to the cloud? Oh, I, I think it's more than possible. I think it's probable. And, um, and if I had a crystal ball, it would probably tell me that a very, very large percentage of every organization uh, will eventually move to the cloud. Completely, 100%. Um, we're seeing trends. We, we just helped a, uh, a very large publishing company um, shut down their data center. You know, it was a big event, actually going and hitting the power button on, you know, in the racks and actually turning off all of this, all of the servers that they've been maintaining for the past few decades and uh, cleaning out that space. And, um, and it's gone. You know, the, the, the days of physical servers and racks and maintaining your own infrastructure, it's, it's really a thing of the past, at least in my world. You know, a couple of years ago, we were probably 50%, I'd say, you know, five years ago, we were 100% on-prem solutions. You know, three or four years ago, maybe half and half, you know, but starting last year, maybe 80% of our projects this year, 100% of our projects are, are either migrating to the cloud or building something from scratch on the cloud. So let me ask, who are these customers of yours? I mean, are they self-selecting because they know you have expertise in this area? Or are you in a specific industry that's keen on doing this? No, it's, uh, it goes across all verticals and you know, we're, we're kind of a reactive company. You know, we don't, as you know, uh, you know, we don't have anything to sell. We don't push products or solutions or, or uh, you know, platforms. We just listen to what our client is trying to achieve and we help them get there. Um, you know, and we do help with the solutioning and the creative problem solving. But um, it's, we just strive for the right answer, whatever it is. And it just so happens that, you know, 100% of our clients are looking for a solution that, that involves the cloud <clears throat> or is on the cloud. And, uh, and it's across all verticals, you know, media, uh, publishing, financial services, even this year. 
um, you know, which we're kind of late to the game. But um, we're seeing we have about four projects right now that are that are financial services organizations. So um, so the trend is really, really, it's like hockey stick growth for us. And it's across all platforms. You know, we're seeing you know, a couple of years ago, it was primarily um, AWS. This year, we're seeing Google Cloud really, really penetrate the market in a very significant way, which is great, which is great because, you know, I think competition is good. You know, AWS pretty much had the market for, for the cloud. And, um, and, I, and I think so now that Google is actually penetrating the market and Azure, you know, Microsoft is also, I think statistically Azure is the leader. But um, or or at least Microsoft Cloud is the leader. Um, but you know, in in our world, AWS has been the leader, and now Google is probably number two for us, and then with Azure um, coming up third. And um, and I think it's good. You know, since you're old school, um, you know, BI guy, <clears throat> you know, you remember the days when it was Cognos Business Objects MicroStrategy. And every year they'd come up with new features and functions and they would constantly leapfrog each other who was the best one of this year. Right. <laughs> and I think we're going to see a lot of that in the cloud, you know, the features and functions, um, you know, one good thing about, you know, kind of being late to the game in technology is that you will have the most modern solution, right? When you're the first to the game, you get the market earlier but then your your technology starts to get dated faster. So now that Google arrived a little bit late, some of the features and functions they have are really outstanding. And I think it's good because because now it's pushing AWS. Now they have to you know one up them right, and they'll keep leapfrogging each other over the next couple of years, just like the BI tools used to do it you know a decade ago. So in my world, I'm seeing a lot of Azure implementations. And so yep. I'm, I'm, and to me, they seem very, uh, you know, whereas AWS came in as infrastructure as a service and now have moved up the stack, it seems like Microsoft came in as platform as a service, so more packaged uh, offerings. Uh, I don't know much about Google uh, Cloud Platform, so maybe you, from your perspective, you could differentiate those three platforms. Yeah, sure. I, I think Google and AWS are more similar than Microsoft. So Microsoft, I think if you if you are a Microsoft shop where your SQL Server and you know all of the ancillary tools around SQL Server, uh, then upscaling to Azure makes a whole lot of sense. If you're more enterprise, you know, coming from like the Oracle world or a little bit more advanced technically, where you were doing Hadoop already. Um, then those clients are typically going to AWS or Google. So what makes Google a real hot property now in your, in your estimation? Why are people turning to them? Because I, I haven't seen them at all. And they, they're certainly a third in market share. Yeah. Um, I think in market share, they are third. But in growth, I think they are, yeah, I don't know statistically, but we're seeing tremendous, tremendous adoption of Google. We're actually seeing some clients go from AWS to Google, never the other way around. So what, what's driving that? What's driving the success of Google right now? 
Uh, well, one thing is, I think they finally invested in a an enterprise sales force. Um, so they are giving better customer service to their clients. I mean, to their customers. You know, um, you know, rather than you know a swipe of a credit card and lots of luck. Um, you know, they are actually doing a very high touch sales engagement. You know, or sales life cycle. So which, you know, which is the way enterprises tend to want to do business, right? Um, and so, so, so that's helping a lot. And then also just the platform itself, technically, you know, BigQuery um, is really an outstanding, outstanding product. You know, the, the ease of use, the performance, the maintainability, and the fact that it's serverless, which is, also, you know, the new paradigm that we're seeing, uh, everyone wants to get involved in. Um, it really is, it's hands down probably the best, the best solution out there for accessing, querying, arbitrary data queries on big data. Let me, let me ask you about Google BigQuery, because I've heard it's a great product and it, it, it functions like a, a gigantic spreadsheet. You, so you put all your data in one table and then it does these massively fast table scans. But for a from a data warehousing perspective, that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense where you need to, you would probably want to do more dimensional queries, but maybe Yeah, not. you know, it's kind, it's kind of a misnomer. Um, you know, it's like when Hadoop first came out, you know, everyone thought it was just for unstructured data. But then when you start using it, now you can actually put structured data there too. You know, BigQuery, it, it does like when it's a big flat table, but you can also have data models put in BigQuery and you can run in SQL against it, you know, and do joins. And, you know, I think it's, uh, it's just as flexible as any of the other tools out there. But it's also one of the most forgiving, right? Because, because it is so fast. It, you know, you can you can scan through billions of rows in in seconds, right? So um, so if you don't have you know the best model out there, it's still going to be performance. Where you know you were talking about earlier, you know some of the uh, you know back in the relational database world, um, where the model was the most critical thing, you know, and that's what we spent all of our time on is making sure that model is perfect. Because if it wasn't, queries could take hours, right? Um, so, um, so the, you know, it alleviates a lot of that, a lot of that pain, a lot of that time to market, time to value. That's interesting. Performance means that we can uh, relax on on the modeling. It gives us license to model poorly. <laughs> I'm I'm sure that <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that modeling well still has an impact, uh, even with Google. BigQuery, and you should strive to do that, right? Yeah. Well, you know, there's a lot of there's lots of different reasons why you want to model well, you know, and I you still need to have a sound data ecosystem and sound data architecture, um, you know, so that you have at least consistent queries and consistent data. Um, but whether you throw it all into a billion row table or you put it into a small dimension, you know, that was critical for browsing data back, you know, when we were doing, you know, trying to leverage, you know, B-tree indexes, right? But 
Um, but now, like you know, it doesn't it doesn't really matter. Like you can you can scan through billions of rows in seconds. So um, so so you know, having everything fully dimensional isn't isn't an absolute requirement anymore. We still, when we go through our data modeling process, we still think dimensionally. We still model dimensionally, but then we can go through a denormalization process because we know that BigQuery can handle it, yeah, and yeah. it makes it easier for the users. Huh. All right. So you said earlier that BigQuery is serverless. Now, my understanding of serverless right. is that it's a, it's a function that's always on, uh, but it's for short running functions, less than five minutes. More than that and it's not going to work, at least serverless in the way Amazon describes it. So serverless and Google might be completely different. So what do you mean by that? Serverless just means that you don't have to stand up a cluster or stand up a, a hardware environment in order to run a process. That's how I define serverless. So like even with Spark, right? Spark, which is elastic and, you know, has great, compute and if you need more compute power you can just add a few nodes and it's it's great for that but it's not serverless you still need to add those nodes with a serverless environment you just run your process and the and the the um the platform takes care of figuring out how many servers how many cpus how much compute power you need to actually um perform that task and then when that task is done performing there's no hardware to manage at all. Isn't that what we call platform as a service? Platform as a service, so, hmm. Because in Amazon, the, the, the serverless stuff, those are the Lambda functions, and I guess each platform is gonna define this stuff a little differently, but Lambda functions, from what I know, are like really short-running functions. Yeah, so Lambda is absolutely, so, so, so there's two things. There's the Lambda architecture, which is something different. But we're talking about Lambda, AWS Lambda functions. So AWS Lambda functions are absolutely, that's a serverless technology where you can fire off a function. You know, and you, you know I think of Lambda functions kind of like, because we're, we're, you know, we both have gray hair. Well, Lambda function is essentially a database trigger. Right, so a database trigger, you say, you know, on create, on delete, on update, whatever, fire off this, this script of code, right, this block of code. Lambda function is exactly the same thing, right? You can tell it on some kind of action, execute, and then when you're done, stop. And however many processes that takes and whatever, like, you don't really care. It doesn't matter, right? You don't have to manage any of that. And we're seeing that that's the trend for, for not only Lambda functions, but for everything. Everything that we do now, we just want to be able to write code and not worry about maintaining hardware. You know, and it's baby steps, right? We went from maintaining our own servers in our, in our building. <laughs> then we went to maintaining servers, servers out in some co-location. And then we went to maintaining servers out on the cloud. We just keep pushing it further and further away, trying to make you know, push the problem away, right? So, and now most people have their servers like on EC2 instances, and but they're still maintaining those servers, right? They're just out on the cloud. So they don't get into the hardware issue anymore. So like if the server fails, right? It, you know, Amazon takes care of that. You're out of that business completely. But you still need to spin it up and spin it down, right? All of that is still on you. You know, configure it, all of that is still on you. 
in a serverless environment, that part goes away as well. So all you really need to care about is the process and the execution of that process to do the task at hand. And what, what's involved from an infrastructure point of view is completely removed from your responsibility. Yeah, easy peasy. I think I would I, I would call that platform as a service. I know like with Azure, that's kind of the paradigm that they're going for. Mm -hmm. So maybe we're talk, yeah. talking the same thing there. And easy peasy is, is really like where the future is going. It's like, you know, the, the, the things that we used to spend so much time on is, is becoming just, it's just given, right? And that's, and that's, you know, the segue into AI. You know, when we start dealing with, as customers, when we start dealing with products, we want, a, you know, we, not only do we not want to have to write code or have an interface or have, you know, um, worry about like the platform or the software, like all of that is slowly but surely getting removed from our life, right? And so now we want to have it, our products so smart that we really don't have to think about anything. All we want to think about is what's the information that we need? to do the task at hand, like buy a product or get a service and be able to execute on it instantaneously. So the smarter the products are, the easier our life is going to be. So we're going from removing, you know, these, the, the hardware and the infrastructure to the software. And then now eventually like a lot of the mundane tasks of, you know, going through a, an application to get exactly what you need, that is all now being replaced with AI. So the AI can figure out what you need before you even ask for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We say AI is the new BI. AI is infiltrating <laughs> every single piece of hardware and software to make it so easy to use that it takes all that manual drudgery out. Uh, and That's yeah, right. gets to where you uh, just said we should be, just worrying about the information and the insights. That's right. That's right. And it's all happening lickety-split. Split. It's just uh, amazingly how fast things are innovating right now and changing. Yeah, you know, there's, there's, there's the famous saying that things always take longer than you thought they would, but then they happen faster than you thought it ever could, right? And it's, that's what's happening, right? We're at that inflection point where we've been talking about AI for decades, right? Um, and now that it's actually becoming a reality. It is happening so fast. It is getting, you know, it is penetrating every every company and every product, you know. Eventually it will be in every product and every interaction that we have, um, you know, with inanimate objects are not going to be so inanimate. They're going to have a little bit of intelligence to them. Well, let me ask, I got to ask you, artificial intelligence is, is now the most hyped thing out in the marketplace. What is it? <laughs> I, I don't think anyone really, everyone's using the term, I don't think anyone really knows what it is. So what, what would you say artificial intelligence is? Yeah, you know, I think it's, it's still to this day pretty ambiguous, you know, exactly what it means. I think it means different things to different people. You know, it's like, um, you know, even the term data warehouse is, you know, 30 years, 40 years later after it was created, right, the term was created, we still, like, to this day, people have their own definition for what a data warehouse is and what it should be and how it should be used. 
you know, I still hear arguments. Should it have operational data? Should it be only reporting data? Or should it be aggregated? Like, like this stuff for decades, like people still don't agree with what it is. So since, you know, AI just started like hitting the market, like within a year or two, the past year or two, you know, for it to be a concrete defined, you know, entity, I, you know, it, I'm not surprised that there's ambiguity around it. But, you know, the way, the way I describe it, I guess, is, is that it's, it's a set of processes that directly affect a, a individual or human being's behavior. So if, you, if you're trying to interact with a product and the product does not have AI on it, it's going to take a little bit of interrogation, right? You know, um, in order to get the product to do what you want. Um, if the product has embedded AI, and especially if the product was built with AI from the ground up, then your interaction with the product is going to be much more efficient and much and much more pleasing to the consumer. You know, and and I should say, you know, the consumer could be anything. It could be a person on an app. It could be someone trying to buy a product. It could be someone trying to build something. It can even be an artist, you know, trying to create a painting. Like, I think that AI is going to affect every aspect of every individual on the planet. I think it's going to be that pervasive, you know, and not even like, you know, 20 years from now, I think like within the next few years, I think it's going to happen so fast. You know, we're seeing essentially every, every single one of our clients is at least asking about it today. And some of them are actually implementing it. And I, and I just gave a talk at the, um, innovation and strategy for, you know, digital transformation in New York City uh, a couple of weeks ago. And it was packed. And the number one, and these are not, there was not a single IT person in the room. They were all business people. And the number one topic of conversation was AI. And they're all talking about it and they all are trying to implement it right now. And, um, and it's very, very, very exciting. I think it's the first technical innovation that, um, at least in my experience, that is not driven by technologists, right? <laughs> it's really the business says in order for us to be competitive, we need to start embedding AI in our products and in all of our processes as well. So how, you know, and the conversations are going like, how are you doing HR? Are you leveraging AI to, to like keep your employees happy, you know, are you, you, you know, there's so many different aspects of where AI could be used internally and externally that, you know, really it's the only limitation is our imagination. So, so what does this look like in reality? I, I can see technology firms implementing AI into their products and and by AI you know it could that could be anything ranging from just simple tacit rules to machine learning to to neural networks which is the technical term for AI at this date mm -hmm. uh, right. but but inside an organization and they want to do AI to me that what they're really saying is all right I want to hire a data scientist I want them to gather some data 
I want them to tease out the patterns uh, and then use those patterns to come up with a predictive model that we can use to, usually it's in marketing, right? Cross-sell, upsell customers, better target our customer base. Uh, and certainly in HR, you know, what what would that be? <laughs> you know, that would be- Yeah, dark. see, what, what, yeah, what you just described, I would categorize that as machine learning, right? So you're, you're, you're taking a set of data, you're, put, you're pushing it through a, a set of algorithms, you're getting things like, you know, propensity to, you know, to, you know, you're trying to predict like attrition or you're trying to predict what are the, you know, based on what I know about this person and what I know about the product he has in his basket, like what, what's the propensity, you know, how do I rank other products that he might buy based on his behavior patterns, based on his peers' behavior patterns and based on what other people who bought that product, right? And you take all of those things, you run it through some models, you come up with you, and you score all of the other potential products in inventory, you rank them descending order, right? And then the ones with the highest score for the chance of him actually buying it goes to the top and you say, hey, you know, if you bought this TV, you might want to buy this TV stand, right? <laughs> that's, right? That's not AI. That's, that's just, that's just machine learning, right? That's essentially a recommendation engine. And that's really what the, that's the basis of what most ML projects are, right? All different reasons, all different purposes, all different use cases. But that's essentially what everybody's doing with ML, right? AI is a little bit different. AI is really, in real time, it is making intelligent decisions so that, you know, you know, different from ML, which is like, we did all of this scoring of all of the products beforehand, and then we're just passing some parameters to say, okay, based on the score, this product, this person, what would you recommend, right? And, and then it just simply is a lookup, essentially. Um, AI is a real-time interaction with, with the machine that is actually getting smarter the more you interact with it. Here's a, here's a really good, uh, this is the way I think about it. It's, it's what's known as being able to answer the second question. So, and I don't know if I made this up or if I heard it somewhere, but, but essentially like if you ask, you know, Siri or Alexa or one of the chatbots out there, you say, you know, where is, you know, do I have, you know, where's the closest pharmacy? And, you know, and it, it will figure out your location, right? It'll do a lookup, right? It's going to figure out where you are. It's going to do a lookup of all of the addresses of all of the, all of the stores that are tagged as pharmacy, and it's going to give you a result verbally, right? And it's going to say, okay, there are, you know, 10 pharmacies within the 10 block radius or whatever, right? And then you can ask, you know, what's the address to the closest one? It won't know what you're talking about. It's not really that intelligent. The closest, the closest what? Like it loses the context. It can't answer the second question. Where AI can answer the second question. It can actually string thought together. So it knows when you ask that second question, you know, what's the address of the closest one? It knows you're still talking about pharmacies. Right. And that's, that's, that's not a lookup. That's intelligence, right? That's, that's something where you have to take 
multiple pieces of information, string them together, right, and actually come up with a cohesive answer, right? And that's, and to me, that's, that's AI. Yeah, I'm, I'm struggling to figure out how that would be done. Uh, you know, I know that, you know, these, uh, these AI-based algorithms that beat, you know, world champion Go players and chess players are thinking a lot of them have been trained in advance against mm -hmm. thousands and thousands of games played by experts so that they have that knowledge. Um, but I think what we're seeing and what you're talking about is that they're actually training as they go along, which I've always thought is more like right. machine learning, right? So the machine's learning from each and every interaction and contact it has with the target customer or target event. Right, but, uh, but I think the thing, the, I think the magic is being able to string together different questions to answer a bigger question, right? And, you know, even with machine learning, right, you, you know, that recommendation engine is going to get smarter and smarter about your user behavior to make better recommendations. But it's still doing that same task, right? All it's really doing, it's, it's just feeding the same data through the same model and coming up with a recommendation of some products, right? That's not really AI, right? That's just, just, that's just ML. So at the root of this then are neural network algorithms? It, it's a combination of things, but, but I think, you know, there's that definitely NLP is involved. Neural networks are involved, you know, and, and I think the thing also that, you know, it's like, you know, if you take a, if you're, when you walk up a step, right, as a human being, right, there's so many things to consider that we don't even think about, right? It's like, you know, how high is the step? How steep is the step? You know, how do I shift my weight to balance it when I'm standing on only one foot? How do I shift my weight when I put the other foot down? You know, like, should I hold on? Should I not hold on? Am I carrying something? Like, there's so many things that impact the decision on, like, how to take that single step. Right. There's an AI is 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 very, very similar. Depending on what you're trying to do, there's going to be many, many different types of algorithms used um, in concert. Well, Joe, that was uh, another fascinating conversation. I think you and I could probably talk for another couple hours on this. I still have a bunch of questions I'd love to ask you. Uh, but is we, it uh, uh, is it time already? It's it's uh, it's time already. Uh, wow. OK, so. Uh, but anyway, I'd like to thank you again for being on the show. We'll have to have you on again. Uh, so thanks. Sure. My pleasure. Anytime, Wayne. Always a pleasure. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please subscribe. If you want more content from business intelligence to data management to data science, browse through the Eckerson Group website at eckerson.com.